Tonight, the showdown in the South Carolina primary. Donald Trump looking for a decisive win against Nikki Haley in her home state. Voters waiting in long lines. The polls predicting another triumph for Trump. But Haley vowing to stay in the race as former President Trump is once again facing criticism, this time over his recent comments claiming his criminal cases and mugshot are helping him win over black voters. Nikki Haley calling it disgusting. Rachel Scott with late reporting in South Carolina and our political director Rick Klein at the maps with a reality check for Haley's path forward. News tonight in the Israel-Hamas war, progress reported in ceasefire talks, what's in the new framework, and how it could affect the American hostages still in Gaza. Israel's prime minister outlining his plans for when the fighting stops, and what we're learning about new U.S. airstrikes against Houthi rebels. Marcus Moore in Israel tonight. An arrest in the murder of a nursing student at the University of Georgia attacked on her morning run and what police are calling a crime of opportunity. It's the first homicide on that campus in decades. What we're learning about the suspect, a native of Venezuela, and his brother who's accused of using a fake green card. The future of in vitro fertilization. Some Republicans and Democrats both scrambling to protect IVF after an Alabama court ruled frozen embryos should be considered children. The chief justice citing God's will in his opinion, several clinics in the state suspending IVF treatments, and what the court's ruling could mean for other states. The war in Ukraine now entering its third year. Once thriving cities reduced to rubble by Russian attacks, Ukraine's morale being tested, its military and defenses stretched thin as American aid remains stalled in Congress. James Longman reports from Ukraine. A daring rescue caught on video, a building up in flames. New York City firefighters lowered by ropes, making multiple rescues. And America Strong tonight, the happy tales in this first grade reading program, how the students and some precious puppies are helping each other. From ABC News World Headquarters in New York, this is World News Tonight. Good evening. Thanks for joining us on this Saturday night. I'm Whit Johnson. Developing news as we come on the air. Former President Donald Trump and Nikki Haley facing off tonight in South Carolina's Republican primary. The former governor and U.N. ambassador acknowledging an uphill battle in her home state as Trump is widely expected to maintain his unbeaten streak in the GOP primaries. He's leading in some polls by up to 30 points. Voters waiting in long lines to cast their ballots tonight. The race is open to all voters, except for those who participated in the Democratic presidential primary earlier this month. And we're just getting some preliminary exit poll data, a glimpse of what voters are thinking about when they head to the polls. When asked which issue mattered the most in deciding how to vote, 41% said immigration, 31% said the economy, followed by foreign policy and abortion. But when asked who voters would trust more to handle these issues on border security, 73% said they trusted Trump more than Haley. And on the economy, 70% said they trusted Trump more. This as the former president is under fire for some racially charged comments made during an appearance before black conservatives. How Trump's rivals are now responding to those comments and what Haley is saying about her campaign plans after tonight's primary. We have team coverage now and ABC's Rachel Scott leads us off in South Carolina. Tonight, Nikki Haley's challenge to Donald Trump put to the test in her home state of South Carolina. At polling locations, long lines stretching the parking lots, voters waiting to cast their ballot. 
Haley showing up to the polls in Kiowa Island with her mother and two children. There's a lot of excitement and energy. You could tell South Carolinians are passionate. They're getting out and voting. That's what we want. Haley's campaign acknowledged her uphill battle in a state that elected her governor twice. Polls show her trailing by 30 points. The former president barely campaigned here, spending most of today in Washington, D.C. But tonight, Trump is facing criticism for what he told supporters at a black conservative event Friday night. These lights are so bright in my eyes that I can't see too many people out there. But uh, I can only see the black ones. I can't see any white ones. Trump claiming his four criminal cases and even his mugshot are helping him win over black voters. I got indicted a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And a lot of people said that that's why the black people like because they have been hurt so badly and discriminated against. In 2016, Trump won just 6% of the black vote. In 2020, 8%. Polls show the majority of black voters do not have a favorable view of Trump. But with President Biden's approval rating slipping, Trump sees an opening. I am pro-life and the borders need to be um, secure. So those are things that affect me, not the words. I mean, I don't like it, but those are words. Border needs to be secure. The Biden campaign calling Trump's words insulting, insisting it's moronic and just plain racist. In a statement saying, this is the same man who falsely accused the Central Park Five, questioned George Floyd's humanity and compared his own impeachment trial to being lynched. And now Nikki Haley firing back too. Are those comments acceptable? It's disgusting, but that's what happens when he goes off the teleprompter. That's the chaos that comes with Donald Trump. Some voters buying that argument. Sherry Herring voted for Trump twice. Today, she voted for Haley. Uh, Trump's a loose cannon, and he could be in jail. He's got so many, and he's got problems. He's got a lot of problems. But even with that, she says she would support him in the general election. And if he is the nominee, will you support him again? I will. You will? I will. I won't vote Democrat. Seems like for you, though, that might be a pretty tough pill to swallow, right, what would, you just said. It would be. It definitely would be. With Nikki Haley says win or lose here in South Carolina, she is staying in this race until Super Tuesday on March 5th. But she did admit today that she really hasn't thought through what comes after that. And the reality is the more states Donald Trump wins, the harder it will be for her to clinch the nominations. Wit. All right, Rachel, thank you. And as you noted, Nikki Haley is vowing to stay in the race. So let's get right to ABC's political director, Rick Klein, for a reality check here and a look at the map. But Rick, it is a difficult road ahead for the former South Carolina governor. Yeah, that's exactly right. After tonight, the campaign basically goes national. Michigan's primaries in three days. A week after that is Super Tuesday. 15 states nationwide, coast to coast, voting on that night. But here's the thing. The Haley campaign is only realistically targeting about seven of those states. In most of the other places, including huge California, the rules are written in a way that makes it almost inevitable that Donald Trump is going to win all of the delegates. And after Super Tuesday, it becomes almost impossible for a candidate to catch up. Things have started slow, but by Super Tuesday, almost half of the delegates will have been selected. So if Donald Trump wins tonight, he will probably be on a glide path to the nomination. Haley will be in a position of just kind of picking up delegates here or there where she can, but mostly it will be a campaign about becoming a backup plan in case something dramatic happened to Donald Trump or his campaign. Whit? Rick, thank you. We appreciate it. And stay with us for a continuing coverage of the South Carolina primary, both on ABC and streaming on ABC News Live. Turning overseas now to the Israel-Hamas war and some encouraging signs from the ceasefire talks underway in Paris. Word tonight that Israel has agreed to an updated framework for a ceasefire and hostage deal in Gaza. 
what's in that potential deal, and where the negotiations go from here. ABC's Marcus Moore is in Tel Aviv tonight. New signs of progress in negotiations tonight for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas that could release six American hostages from Gaza. ABC News has learned that Israeli negotiators have agreed to an updated framework that would include a six-week ceasefire in Gaza and the release of 40 hostages, among them women, the elderly, injured and sick, but no male soldiers or bodies of the dead. In return, Israel would release up to 400 Palestinians from jail. Israeli officials say they're waiting for a response from Hamas, which could take a couple of days. This week, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu proposing plans for Gaza after the war, including security buffers and local governance. But the U.S. said it must meet basic principles. It cannot be a platform for, for terrorism. There should be no Israeli reoccupation of Gaza. Uh, the size of Gaza's territory should not be reduced. And as Netanyahu commits to additional military action in Rafah, world leaders and aid groups have expressed grave concern for the 1.4 million Palestinians taking refuge from the fighting there. Many of those families struggling tonight just to find basic food and medicine. In his message, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu also said that only a combination of military pressure and firm negotiations will lead to the release of their hostages. With Marcus Moore for us tonight, thank you. And staying overseas, a multilateral coalition led by the U.S. launching a new round of airstrikes against 18 Houthi targets in Yemen today. Those targets included underground storage facilities for weapons and missiles. This in response to a surge in attacks by the Iran-backed rebels on ships in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden. Next tonight, an arrest in the tragic death of a 22-year-old nursing student in Georgia. Lakin Riley's body was discovered on the U University of Georgia's campus. Police say there's no known relationship between the victim and suspect, calling this a crime of opportunity. We're learning new details about the suspect who made his first court appearance earlier today. Here's ABC's Morgan Norwood. Tonight, the suspect charged in the killing of nursing student Lakin Riley on the University of Georgia's campus going before a judge. Jose Ibarra charged with malice murder, aggravated assault, and kidnapping in what authorities called the first homicide at UGA in nearly 30 years. This court is not authorized under Georgia law to set bond in light of these charges. We're also asserting his rights under the Fifth Amendment um, to remain silent. Riley went missing on Thursday, her friends calling police after the former high school cross-country star never came back from her morning run. Officers finding her body hours later near the running trails at UGA, where she used to go to school. Police say security camera footage and community tips led them to Ibarra, who police say is a 26-year-old non-resident from Venezuela without an extensive criminal history. The investigation suggests that they had no relationship uh, he did not know her at all. Um, I think this was a crime of opportunity. Tonight, a stunned community honoring Lakin Riley, her nearby college, Augusta University, describing her as a promising future nurse. Her heartbroken sister writing on Instagram, this isn't fair and I will never understand it, but I know you are in heaven. And with Abar's brother Diego, who authorities say is undocumented, is facing separate charges of his own tonight. Police say they approached him because he matched the description of a homicide suspect. And when they asked him for ID, they say he presented a fraudulent green card. With some disturbing developments in this case. All right, Morgan, thank you. Next tonight, some Alabama lawmakers from both sides of the aisle scrambling to protect IVF treatments. 
Those treatments now paused at nearly half of the state's fertility clinics after a bombshell state Supreme Court ruling that frozen embryos are children. The issue now front and center on the campaign trail with politicians trying to clarify where they stand. Here's ABC's Zorin Shah. Tonight, Alabama lawmakers on both sides of the aisle now scrambling to pass legislation that would protect access to IVF treatments. House Minority Leader Anthony Daniels, a Democrat, filing a bill just days ago after his state Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos are children, triggering half of Alabama's fertility clinics to halt the procedure. We have to do something about this immediately, and I hope that the Republicans will work with me. Republican Senator Tim Melson already pushing a new measure that says embryos are not viable until they are implanted in the uterus. Until it's implanted in the uterus, there's potential life and that people shouldn't be criminalized or, or be held uh, harmful for things that happen. They should be held harmless. And now Republican presidential candidates seeking to clarify their positions. I didn't say that I agreed with the Alabama ruling. What the question that I was asked is, do I believe an embryo is a baby? I do think that if you look in the definition, an embryo is considered an unborn baby. We want to make it easier for mothers and fathers to have babies, not harder. But Trump's team not making it clear where he stands. Does he think an embryo is a child? I will not get ahead of the president on that either. I'll let him speak on that specific moral issue. The White House blasting Trump, saying he is responsible for the court's ruling. Back in Alabama, Hillary Hogle warns that the decision has real consequences. She's now expecting a baby girl through IVF. If this thing would have happened not months ago, you know, we wouldn't be pregnant. And women across the country who want to be pregnant could also have reason to be concerned. Twelve states introduced what they are calling fetal personhood bills that could have similar implications if passed. Zorin Shah reporting for us tonight. Thank you. Now to Russia's invasion of Ukraine entering its third year. Ukraine's President Zelensky and Western world leaders marking the occasion with a wreath-laying ceremony in Kyiv. And these stunning before and after images revealing the full scale of the devastation in a key eastern city as funding for Ukraine remains stalled in Congress. ABC's James Longman reports from Ukraine. Russia's war on Ukraine enters its third year tonight with a series of strikes on Odessa. A 70-year-old man was killed and his wife among those critically injured in a drone attack on their apartment building. And Ukraine's air defenses and ammunition for the ground war both running out. There are just a lot of guys dying, one soldier says. We're sitting here with nothing and we can't do anything. Everyone has friends and friends are dying. That's the most painful thing. Alexandra Ustinova is on the team of lawmakers negotiating military aid with Congress, where the $60 billion aid package is currently stalled. We're losing the war. Russia's occupation of the eastern city of Advika, a sign of what may lie ahead. These images show the city at the start of the war and then today. Well, unfortunately, Avdiivka is only the first step. And we see that this is the first clear sign that if you don't have munition, if you don't have the means to fight, you cannot win a war, you're going to lose the war. The pressure is on Congress to act. Earlier, I spoke with U.S. Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer leading a delegation here. He's calling on Republicans in the House to approve aid to Ukraine. But isn't that the Republican strategy? Stop this from going through long enough so that in November they're betting on a Trump presidency and that deal happens? Well, most Republicans know how important it is to do it now. If we were to wait a year, it would probably be too late.
Meanwhile, President Biden's massive package of sanctions on Russia, more than 500 measures against individuals and military institutions, unlikely to restrain Putin, whose war economy is now being fueled in part by munition production. And with those sanctions are also in response to Alexei Navalny's death. Tonight, his team say Russian authorities have finally returned his body to his mother. With James Longman, our thanks to you tonight. We're following new details about that small high-altitude balloon spotted flying over the western U.S. NORAD saying it was likely a hobbyist balloon and is now out of U.S. airspace. The balloon was intercepted some 40,000 feet over Utah on Friday. This coming one year after that Chinese surveillance balloon was spotted over the U.S. There is still much more ahead on World News tonight this Saturday, including the deadly National Guard helicopter crash, the two victims now identified, and the daring rescue in New York, firefighters lowered by rope to take victims to safety. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Next tonight, rare and daring rescues caught on video. An apartment building engulfed in flames in New York's Harlem neighborhood. Three people were rescued when a firefighter was lowered from the roof to bring them to safety. The department says those three and two other victims are in critical condition. One person was killed in the fire, the cause still under investigation. Tonight, Mississippi's governor has identified two National Guard troops who were killed in a helicopter crash yesterday. Chief Warrant Officer Brian Zemeck was 36 years old. Chief Warrant Officer Derek Abbott was 42. The two were on a routine training flight and were killed when their Apache helicopter went down in the woods near Boonville. When we come back, the frightening scene when a small plane went down in the waters off Miami. To the index now, an investigation into what caused a seaplane to crash land off the port of Miami. Video shows the plane going down in the water on Friday, then tipping over. Boaters and police sped to the scene. Seven people were rescued with no injuries reported. When we come back, America's Strong, the teacher's little helpers who are boosting reading scores. Finally tonight, America Strong, puppies in the classroom and the mutual benefit for kids and pets. They play with us, they're family. The first graders at Hanby Elementary School in Wilmington, Delaware, have a few extra classmates. Last, he took a nap in the alley. Foster puppies, joining the kids for reading time, now fondly known as puppy time. 
for our reading centers today. It's all part of a bold idea by teacher Brooke Hughes. I started fostering puppies during the pandemic. Everyone was coming back from COVID. Everyone was having a hard time transitioning. And I just kept thinking about all the wonderful benefits that it could bring to a school. All right, let's go to the library. Partnering with Rags to Riches Animal Rescue in Pennsylvania, Brooks Foster Tales program started over a year ago. The puppies spend nights and weekends with students, their families, and other teachers, typically for a couple of weeks until the rescue helps place them in forever homes. So far, 51 foster puppies have been adopted through the program, and it's also making a big difference in the classroom. I love my toys outside. The kids who were the most reluctant for reading. They are the first ones that want to volunteer for puppy time. And so we've noticed a huge increase in their reading scores because of it. Be a great place for The puppies and kids are helping each other with joy in their hearts. If you're having a hard day, the puppies kind of just lift your spirits. Give you a puppy kiss saying good job. And we've fostered many puppies in my house. Great to see the kids jumping in to help out. I'm Whit Johnson in New York. Have a great night.